That song that stuck out the most to me with the content of this message today is that in Christ, in His death and the cross in our place, our God is satisfied. That's all that matters. And far too often we think whether or not we're satisfied. What does that matter if God is satisfied? He's the one that counts. He's the one in charge. Our God is satisfied. Amen. Praise God for that. And he did it. He did it in our place and for us. We are uh, jumping back into 1 Corinthians. Um, In the months of May, June, July-ish, when I was candidating here to see whether the Lord would have uh, us to come, me to serve as a pastor here, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And uh, we're going to, in the next uh, month and a half or so, jump back into 1 Corinthians and go through chapters 2, 3, and 4. And I just want to take a minute here at the beginning today to go back and remember what we've learned so far, okay? So a little recap of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Number one, God is faithful. God is faithful. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to share with you from the Word of God, if I never got to preach to you again, was that God is faithful. Amen? He is the one who has never known defeat, not us. And we look to him, not ourselves, for salvation, for our instruction, and in anticipation of his coming. Uh, We also learn that the gospel unites us. The gospel is what unites us. Uh, When we make church about our own personal preferences and think that God exists because we want things from him, then we get disunity and disorder. Uh, But when we acknowledge his faithfulness and his grace given to us in the gospel, we are able then to keep the main thing the main thing. And if we will be a gospel-centered church, we will be a united church. It's that order. That's the order that it goes. Uh, Thirdly, we learn that the gospel also empowers us The gospel empowers us, and not in a Rocky Balboa, I have the tiger kind of a way. And not in achieve all of your wildest dreams kind of a way. But in a, if we want to glorify God and see him work in a powerful way kind of a way. Our church needs to do God's business, God's way. And the fuel for that fire is the gospel. If we abandon the gospel, we will become nothing better uh, than a social club or even better, cease to exist. And I say better, better that we would cease to exist than become a social club, because that, in that way we are identifying as a religious institution uh, and then distracting people from who Jesus really is and the truth of his gospel. Uh, we better not get like that. Uh, and if we're going to be a church that glorifies God, that sees people change, the gospel is where it's at. Uh, that's the message with all the power. And then finally, uh, from chapter 1, verse 26 through, we jumped into chapter 2 to verse 5. Uh, we're reminded to consider our calling in that passage. Because God is the one that is faithful. It's his gospel that's the message that unites us. It's his gospel uh, that is the message that empowers us to glorify him. So, we have nothing to brag about. It's not about me. I'm not smart enough Not good-looking enough, not brave enough, not eloquent of speech enough, anything else you could think of 
enough to make this church or any church amazing. Or think of any other buzzword that you might want to use there. First, Baptist church didn't start getting more cool or more important or more significant or more relevant when any one of us walked into this building. You agree with that? (laughs) This church and any church gets its importance, its significance, its relevance, and dare I say its coolness when we get out of the way and instead worship the true living God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and proclaim humbly, sincerely, unashamedly to the lost and the saved the powerful message of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5 says this, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is a man's work versus the Spirit's work issue. What is man's wisdom and man's work? What is the Spirit's wisdom and the Spirit's work? One tends to be super flashy, and one is biblically effective. (laughs) Guess which one's the right one? Okay? The question we have to ask is this. What is the demonstration of the Spirit? What does that mean? What is the demonstration of the Spirit? Well, what did Paul go to Corinth and do? We'd ask, did he, did he heal to get attention? Did he entertain the people? Did he tell them their future? Did he raise large, large amount of money and promise wealth to everybody? Uh, did he speak in unintelligible words in public to wow the crowd? Uh, did he wave his suit coat and make people fall over in droves? Did Paul do any of those things? Well, let's look at Acts, Acts 18. Look at Acts 18, verses 5 through 11. This is the account of Paul's ministry in Corinth. And it says this, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And how would he go to them? We're going to find out. He left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house, this is kind of a fun part, his house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, uh, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord and moved his worship next door, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in the city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months doing what? Teaching the word of God among them. So what did Paul do in Corinth? He taught the word of God because the spirit of God 
speaks to us. Okay, nobody here is an apostle, right? The word of God speaks to us through the word of God. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16, that's where we're going to be today. The Apostle Paul, remember, inspired by the Spirit of God, this is the Spirit of God revealing God's word and God's mind to us, is going to detail what this demonstration of the Spirit of God entails. Let's go ahead and pray just real quick before we jump deeper into this passage. Father, I pray that you would be with us today. That we would, Lord, acknowledge your word as the final authority. Uh, This topic is so often confusing to us and difficult for us and emotional for us. The idea of what the Spirit of God does, God the Spirit, is so hotly debated. But Lord, your word speaks truth. And God, may we rely on what you say and not how we feel or what we see, but what you say. God, give us courage to believe you and to follow hard after you. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 6 says, Yet among the mature, mature meaning those who have been perfected, that's what the word in the Greek means, But because of God's grace, who's mature, who is seen as righteous, who has salvation? Uh, This, those who are mature here is not so much a, after you've grown a bunch in the faith, it's all those who are in the faith. This is a positional maturity, not a growth maturity, okay? So this is all of, all believers. Among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although, it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. And as we can attest, nearly 2,000 years later, the gospel message was not a passing fad. Things that people talked about and got their kicks with back then, they've gone. There might be something in a history book about it, but they've passed. The gospel is still here because it's God's. Okay, It says that we, in verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. That sounds cool. <laughs> Which God decreed before the ages, before the ages for our glory. Now this does sound cool. Paul's referring here to the gospel message. This is the secret that is revealed. This is the hidden wisdom of God. This is the mystery. It's the gospel message. Ephesians 3 also uses this illustration. The gospel was prophesied, uh, happening, and the contents developing over time. And we see that throughout the Old Testament. But it was not fully known, fully understood, uh, fully uh, received and believed in until after Christ came, lived, was crucified, and rose again. Then the mystery was revealed. And eyes were opened to the whole of the truth of everything leading up to that message, the gospel message. So it says in verse 8, None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So it's a good thing they didn't understand. Uh, But God was in that. God was in that, in his sovereign plan. Verse 9 says, As it is written, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God prepared for those who love him. This is a 
quote from Isaiah 64. Okay, while the, while the gospel was still a mystery and unknown to man, God was sovereignly orchestrating every component for his glory and for our salvation. Verse 10 says this, these things, which in this passage, these things means God's word, the message of the gospel, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. God's revealed these things, the truth of the gospel, to us through the Spirit. For, because, this is how it's possible, the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, and this is key here, no one. Who? No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We, believers. That we might understand the things freely given us, the, the mystery revealed by God. So these verses do a couple of things. One of them is that they, they defend the deity of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. You know why the Spirit knows the mind of God? Because he's God. You know why you know what you're thinking about? Because you're you. <laughs> wow, right? Amazing. The Spirit of God knows the mind of God because the Spirit of God is God the Spirit. He is deity. And he's revealed to us because he knows the mind of God. He's revealed to us the mind of God. He is the revealer. So the Spirit reveals to us the truth of God's word, including the gospel. And then he gives us and works in us to give us understanding of the truth. Would you agree that there are times when we could say the truth of the gospel And in a group of people this size, there will be many who hear it and are moved by it and believe. Uh, There will be some who've believed for years and are reassured in their faith and blessed by the Lord in it. And there will be some who would not be able to differentiate it from any other thing they've heard. Would you agree with that? That's the work of the Spirit. The Spirit of God works in us to help us to understand the mystery revealed of the truth of God's word in the gospel. And verse 13 says this. We impart this in words. We impart this in words. Not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. The Spirit's a teacher. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Not events, but truths to those who are spiritual. Uh, Truths ties back to the words taught by the Spirit. And then this word spiritual, again, like the mature, spiritual means those who are saved, born from above, born again, and contrasted with the natural person in verse 14, the unbeliever. It says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their folly to him. It's just foolishness. It's silliness. What does it matter? And he is not able, not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The one who is dead in their trespasses and sins on their own with their own human wisdom and human cunning is not able to understand the mystery of the gospel revealed. 
by the Spirit of God. But when the Spirit of God does what the Spirit of God does and illumines the mind and gives understanding, that dead person in their trespasses and sins comes to life, is regenerated, is made a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is what this passage says the Spirit does. The things of the Spirit means the things that the Spirit of God does. And the Spirit of God is going to do what God says he's going to do. Does that make sense? The Word of God is the authority. The Spirit of God has revealed it to us. And he's going to do that which is in keeping with his character. And he's going to do what he said he's going to do. Because if he doesn't say, if he doesn't do, sorry, I made myself confused. If he doesn't do what he said he's going to do, then he's not faithful. Then he's inconsistent or even a liar. The Spirit of God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Does that make sense? And so that does not mean, think about the Spirit of God, and we have this mentality and this predisposition to think about the Spirit of God. Spirit, right? And it kind of gets mystical. And the Spirit of God doesn't have to do spirity kinds of things. Magical kinds of things, crazy kinds of things, experiential kinds of things. Now, one of the accusations, one of the pushbacks that you might get on that thinking is, well, then you're just putting God in a box. Have you heard that before? Don't put God in a box. I'm going to say a couple things to that. Number one, God's not going to do what he said he's not going to do. That's a box that he constructed. Within his own holiness, his own righteousness, his own character. But then think about this. Telling Jesus that if he would come down off the cross, you would believe in him, like the Pharisees did, that's putting God in a box. I'll do something that you want me to do if you do what, you, what, I, what I tell you to do. That's putting God in a box. Telling God if he would only spare you from hardship, that you would give your life to him, That's putting God in a box. This statement, listen to this, wanting more, wanting more than what God says is everything you need. Wanting more than what God says is everything you need. That's putting God in a box. Or maybe more accurately, that's putting God in a genie's lamp. We have to be very careful that we don't do such a thing. Verse 15 says this, The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. That word judges makes us scared sometimes, okay? Uh, Judges here means discerns. God is the judge, right? He's the judge of people. But we are commanded to be discerning concerning things, words, actions, experience. We should be discerning about all of these things. Things. So it is spiritual. We're commanded here. Yes? It is spiritual to be discerning. It is unspiritual to be careless. It's unspiritual, unspiritual to perpetually be clueless as to what scripture says. Now when a person puts their faith in Christ, do they know everything that scripture says? No, that's why God says, Jesus commanded us, go and make disciples. And teach them all that I have commanded you. 
A person puts their faith in Christ, they're given new life, they're given understanding because the Spirit of God has opened up their eyes and turned the light bulb on and is working in them to teach them and to help them to grow. And you begin the process, right, of getting into the Word of God that the Spirit revealed to us and helps us to understand. And as we grow in Christ and grow to become more like Him, we learn more and more and more and more of what the Bible says and its right interpretation Because it says what it means, and it means what it says, and we grow. For me to say, boy, that stuff is just difficult, I don't want to mess with it. That's an unspiritual statement. Does that make sense? We need to get in it. We need to get after it. Uh, By the way, you're doing it today, so great job. And we need to get into the Word. And boy, of any time in history, we have so many ways to get it. You know, there are people who have a harder time reading than I do. Praise God that there are audio Bibles of all types. Yeah? And they're free. Uh, Praise God for the church, where you can hear the preaching by God's grace, the preaching of God's word. For Bible studies that we can do together in community. For our Sunday school classes. All the different means that we have. If you want to listen to some great sermons... They're all over the place. You can go on the internet and listen to them. There are so many ways to get the word of God into us. And not every way is created equal, right? Anything that I say is only good if it agrees with this book. So we've got to be discerning, judging all things. And as we grow and as we learn, then we're able to do that better. And praise God for his grace because, boy, we stumble and fall, don't we? And God picks us back up because he sees us through the righteous shed blood of Jesus Christ and then helps us to keep growing. Praise God for that. So this is not a judgmental thing. We're growing. But are we to discern and be judging things? Yeah. Yep, we're commanded to do that. Unbelievers, too, think about this, the unsaved are without understanding, without the Spirit to guide them. So when we look at the world around us and we think things like, how could a person ever act like that? How could they be so stupid? Or whatever else we might say, well, let's think about that theologically. They don't have the Spirit of God. They have not been born again. They do not have the truth of God's word that they can run all of these situations and ideas through the grid of. And so what are they going to do? what they're a slave to, what we're all prone to do outside of Christ. And so what they need is not our accusations and our nastiness. What they need is the truth of the gospel spoken to them in love. Verse 16 says this, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? The answer is none of us. Sands the Spirit. The Spirit of God knows. And he says this, We have the mind of Christ. That's a pretty amazing statement. We have the mind of Christ. We need Christ. And we, the redeemed, have him. We have him. How could we not be satisfied? And so we have the Spirit teaching us to think the way that he thinks, to understand with his understanding. So, what is the demonstration of the Spirit? What are the ministries of the Holy Spirit where he unleashes the power of the gospel? 
In this passage, we have three of them. And we're not going to talk today about every ministry of the Holy Spirit because the book of 1 Corinthians is going to give us all kinds of things as we go on. But we're going to talk about these three because these three are in this passage. One thing the Holy Spirit does is the revelation of God's word. Revelation. The Spirit, knowing the mind of God, being God, the Spirit, revealed to us the truth of God, his word, to us. The mind of God revealed to man by the Spirit of God. So we can know God personally. We can know God personally because the Spirit of God revealed God to us through his word. Inspiration. We had revelation, now inspiration. Inspiration, the word being revealed through the Spirit. Who's the agent of it? It's the Spirit of God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. You might have this memorized. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, not the wisdom of man. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this wasn't the apostles sitting there openly waiting for God to say something to them. This is the apostles and those writing the New Testament scriptures and the Old Testament scriptures going along, serving the Lord. And as they wrote, God intervened and said, I got it from here. (laughs) And God used those men, moved by the Holy Spirit, to write the very word of God that he wanted them to write. And it's been transmitted faithfully to us over these thousands of years. Amazing. There's no other book like this book, by the way. And because God is the one who authored it, and because there's no private interpretation, we can also be confident of this. This book has meaning, and it has a meaning, and that meaning is God's intended meaning. So if we read a passage, and this person says it means A, and this person says it means B, and this person says it means C, Two of them, or three of them, potentially, are wrong. And the one who has the right understanding of what God intends for it to say is the one who is right. Right? We live in a culture now where people are celebrating alternate truths. And that whole idea is silly. It means what it says. Praise God for that, because then we'd be clueless. And the third thing that the Spirit does in this passage is teaching. Or a word that we would use is illumination. And it means what it sounds like. Turning the light bulbs on. Okay? Teaching us that we might understand and interpret spiritual truths. John 16, 13 through 15 says this. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. The the Holy Spirit has not gone off the radar or on his own tangent. But whatever he hears... Knowing the mind of God, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus Christ. What is the Spirit's task? To glorify Jesus Christ, God the Son. The Spirit, the the selflessness of the Trinity. Jesus gave himself to do the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit gives himself to glorify the Son. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit takes the truth of God, reveals it to us, and then guides us in our understanding of that truth for the purpose of seeing Christ as glorious. And I think that illumination is not just the right understanding of the Scripture. 
Because we know that God expects us to respond in faith and obedience, right? So the right understanding of the scripture is what the text means and how I don't line up to what the text means and how I can change. That makes it personal. It makes it personal. And the Holy Spirit guides us in that. Uh, This is why Paul says that the demonstration of the Spirit and of power is in the proclamation of God's word. In the proclamation of the gospel, the word of God is revealed. The message of the gospel is proclaimed. Christ is glorified in that. That's the ministry of the Spirit. And so we are miraculously saved, changed, and made new. So there is nothing, nothing more amazing, more miraculous that we should ever expect God to do to impress us or to make us feel his love than to see the Spirit of God use his word to bring a dead, hell-bound man like me to eternal life. That's the pinnacle of the work of the Spirit of God. That is where it's at. And there's nothing more significant in your life right now, Christians, than for the Spirit of God to graciously use his revealed word to sanctify our thinking, our desires, our actions, all of our lives, to conform us to the image of Christ for the glory of God and for our good. Now, if we're not careful, we can get this, uh, what have you done for me lately, kind of an attitude, or even act like we're bored with the wonderful gift that the Spirit of God has given to us through his word, as if it were not enough. And though people may be saying they want more of the Spirit of God, they're actually settling for less. And less is probably a bad word choice. Because if we are, if what we're doing is not in the Bible, it's not just less. It's wrong. It's a lie. It could even be demonic. So let's not mess around with unbiblical activities or unbiblical experiences that people will attribute to the Spirit of God. Because, remember, we have an enemy who appears as an angel of light, is the father of all liars, and is an expert, the expert, at mixing a little truth with lies to lead people astray. Let's not settle for less than what God has already given us and call it wanting more of him. For a modern example of this, uh, listen to what this now famous author wrote in an introduction to their book. I began to wonder if I could receive messages during my times of communing with God. I'd been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. Remember, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness and the man of God, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So, by the way, the Bible says there's nothing more to yearn for. We're all starting at different places, so the Bible speaks to us wherever we are for teaching, reproof, correction, and training. So these things become personal. And they are personal. But we're all growing toward the same goal 
and the same person, Jesus Christ. And so the message is the same for all of us. The author also states this and writes this. This practice of listening to God has increased my intimacy with him more than any other spiritual discipline. So I want to share some of the messages I've received. In many parts of the world, Christians seem to be searching for a deeper experience of Jesus' presence and peace. I don't know how they would have known that. The messages that follow address that felt need. Uh, This practice here listed is this practice of clearing the mind, sitting quietly with pen in hand and a blank piece of paper, waiting to hear Jesus talking to them, which the Bible never endorses, and is actually more like what's practiced in the occult, was in the author's mind more beneficial than any spiritual discipline that God's been given, uh, has given us to know him and to commune with him. More beneficial than anything. Uh, This is also a scenario of an individual feeling like they want personalized, inspired revelation from God and waiting quietly for it to happen until it happens. Uh, This is not how inspiration and revelation work. Then the author takes these messages they believe Jesus has given. Uh, By the way, remember the Spirit is the person who gives revelation in this way. And uses these messages from Jesus, supposedly, alongside of Scripture as revelation from God for all the readers to be inspired by. Mixing Scripture, some good, with personal supposed revelation and directly attributing those words to Jesus. Saying that it's not the Bible, but it's Jesus' words. The author then after getting some concern and pushback from other Christians, altered the introduction to the book in a reprinting and stated an affirmation that the Bible is God's only infallible word. That's good. That they're not to be equating their book uh, or messages from God with Scripture, but then proceeds to use the supposed quotes from Jesus as devotional material. Because, you see, God said it. So it's his word. Um, This book... And I struggled with saying this to you. Uh, not because of fear of God, I have a feeling. Okay, but listen, this book, this children's version of this book, all of its companions and sequels, which, by the way, both sequels were voted Christian Book of the Year, have sold together over 25 million copies. And it's available in Christian bookstores around the world and published in over 26 languages. Do you know what it is? The author is Sarah Young, and the title is Jesus Calling. Now, this is just one example, okay? One example. There are many others like it, uh, though hardly any of them have been as commercially successful as these, as this series. Published by Christian publishing companies. Celebrated by Christians around the world. And and listen, we're not going to have a book burning after the service. (laughs) We're not going to have shaming sessions or anything like that, Okay. If you have this book and you're reading this book, read it through the grid of scriptures, right? What's good is good and what's bad is bad. And the Bible gets to decide that because the Spirit of God is not going to mess up. And realize that there are really good books out there that don't have that kind of stuff in it. So there's better. There's better stuff. Uh, by the way, the author now tells us this, that we got to read it through the grid of scripture. 
But that itself should cause us to be concerned with the content. Uh, you're not a bad person if you read a book. Okay, some people might be reading it because they're just interested in, the, in why it's such a big deal. Let's not judge people and their motives for those kinds of things, right? Uh, but if you have been treating it like the Bible, then there's a problem. And if you think that God has revealed more to you, more to you, than what is already in Scripture through the times that Jesus is calling those parts, you're deceived. So turn back to the Word of God. Turn back to the Word of God. I used these books as an example because I want you to see that the material might contain some good info in Scripture. Uh, The content might be encouraging at times, and the author may be entirely sincere I don't think she's in her uh, writing room at home going, how can I mess up the church now? I think she wants to love Jesus and she wants to encourage people. She might be entirely sincere, but the premise could be entirely wrong. And that premise is entirely wrong. And the consequence is far more than we can know. If the only consequence is that people would think that Jesus would say something to them in the quietness of their room, that they should take that at face value and be just as much and just as significant to the Bible... There's a whole lot of bad that can come of that. You understand that? You remember, these people Paul is writing to, by the way, back to 1 Corinthians, I gave all that for a reason. These people Paul is writing to are the ones who are going to church. <laughs> He's not writing this to people who are, you know, uh, red demons in a quarter going, ah, I want to beat everybody up. These are people who are going to church. Uh, they're professing Christians and they want to be inspired. They want to be wowed. They want someone to knock their socks off with profound Jesus thoughts and spiritual experience, which sounds great, right? And now Paul is telling them, and by the way, this is the word of God, the spirit of God through the written word is telling them, we don't use lofty speech. We don't use man's wisdom wanting more. We don't set a goal to make you all feel better about yourselves or to amuse you. We're not trying to impress you or to leave an impression on you at all. It's not about I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos, right? We came to preach Christ crucified. We came to proclaim the word of God and God's word. And specifically in this passage, the message of the gospel is the, the demonstration of the spirit of God and of power. That's it. That's the demonstration. There is no other demonstration. It's right there. Church, God has already given himself to you. The Father gave us the Son to die in our place. He graciously has saved us and made us his children and heirs with Christ. Not fair. We don't deserve any of that. God has given himself to us in that way. The Son, Jesus, lived a perfect and sinless life and died in our place. The Spirit has revealed God and the gospel of Jesus Christ to us through the Word and regenerates us, brings us to life, makes us a new creation, and allows us, think about this, He allows us, our puny, sinful selves, to understand the truths of the mind of God. Among many other things that He does, For us, that we'll learn as we continue to go through this letter. Church, if God has already done all of this, why would we be looking for more? 
Why are we looking for more? Why would we ever call the Bible not enough? And ultimately, the answer has to come back to us and our view of God and our view of ourselves. Who do we think we are telling God when he's done enough for us? That is putting God in a box. And so ironically and sadly, those who practice unbiblical things because they proclaim that they've been filled with the Spirit or baptized in the Spirit are actually grieving the Spirit. But for those who trust in God's truth, believing, loving the message of the gospel, who are giving themselves to the truth of God's word and being taught, reproved, corrected, and trained by the word, being completely and thoroughly equipped, these are the ones who have gotten out of the way of God's work. These are the ones who are doing God's business God's way. These are the ones, and may we be the ones, who are seeing the demonstration of the Spirit of God and power. Do you want to see the Spirit of God at work in your life? If you do, read the Word of God. All of it. Study it. Cherish it. Apply it to your life. Submit to the Lord and follow Him with your whole heart. That's what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. Do you want to see the power of God on display? Preach the gospel to yourself and watch your life and your affections change for the glory of God as you grow and preach the gospel to others and watch God give life to the dead. There is no greater Holy Spirit moment. No greater God thing. No more significant demonstration of his power than to see the gospel transform our lives. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your great love for us. And God, help us by the gift of your spirit to see how great you have blessed us, how greatly you've blessed us, how amazing your grace has been for us and to us and through us. God, help us not to be so prideful as to think that the reason we are the way we are is because we've worked really hard for it or we've mustered up the ability and efforts to produce righteousness in our own hearts and to realize and understand that every shred of goodness that exists in us is because the Spirit of God is powerful and because he's working in us. And through that, Lord, help us to glorify you, to be moved with compassion because you have shown us compassion, and to truly be amazed by what the Spirit of God says he's going to do and to rejoice in it. And God, help us to be discerning. Help us to be discerning, to know your word and to apply it and to rightly understand the things that are happening around us and to desire the things that you give us. And when things aren't being done rightly, God, help us to speak the truth in love because we love people and because we love you and we want to help. And because we want the very best for ourselves and for our children and for our friends and our loved ones in Christ. For your honor and glory and praise, we pray these things. Amen.